If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Hello and welcome to Gardener's Favourites, a new podcast series featuring Alan Titchmarsh, Kate Bradbury and the team here at Gardener's World magazine. In this special winter series, we'll share with you some of our winter highlights, guaranteed to beat the winter gloom, with options to get you outside enjoying your garden and recommendations for days when you want to curl up indoors. So sit back and enjoy as we share our favourites. I do have a vice. It's time to confess. I find it very hard to avoid buying books. I mean, lots of books. I mean, I think I'm up to about five or six thousand now. It's, I know, but I've got a lot of shelves. I've had to build a lot of shelves because I've got a lot of books. I do love the feel of a book. I like what's inside it. I buy books on all kinds of subjects, from interior design to architecture to horticulture and gardening to novels. It's. It, I know. I could get into therapy for it. But the great thing is, when they surround me, they're old friends. I can pull them down and look inside them. I've read the vast majority of them. I've dipped into others. Books are, for me, enormously good company. And as Cicero famously said, if a person has a library and a garden, they have absolutely everything they need. I couldn't agree more. When it comes to favourite books, there's one above all others that I admire as well as enjoy. It was written by a man called Geoffrey Grigson, and it's called The Englishman's Flora. Now, it sounds really rather dull. Flora means two things. It means the flowers that grow in any given area, but a flora is also a book containing details of those flowers. The Englishman's flora is rather different. It is, as you would expect, um, an encyclopedic book containing the names and descriptions of English wildflowers. But what it also does, the Englishman's flora, is it lists all the common names of those wildflowers in the different counties. And there are dozens of them. What we call Queen Anne's Lace, somebody else will call Cow Parsley, and so on. But there are weird names on these lists that Geoffrey very kindly produced for us. Common names from Somerset and Dorset, from Scotland and Wales and Ireland. And if you have a flower growing in your wildflower meadow or the hedgerow around you, and you know what it is by its Latin name, its botanical name, you can look it up in the Englishman's flora and find out what they call it in Norfolk. Suffolk, Montgomeryshire and Caithness and I find that incredibly fascinating. Geoffrey Grigson The Englishman's Flora you can buy it in paperback or you can lash out on the first edition on glorious paper with woodcuts as well. I wouldn't be without it. There was a diplomat called Sir Peter Smithers 
He was also an MP for a while and he travelled all over the world and he had gardens in Winchester and he had a garden in Switzerland as well. And he wrote a book called Adventures of a Gardener. There aren't many of my gardening books that I sit down and read cover to cover. But Peter Smithers' Adventures of a Gardener is one of those exceptions. If you sit down and read it, it'll take you on quite literally a journey. His journey through life and the gardens he made in different parts of the world. And it's absolutely fascinating. I love those books you can open up and quite literally sometimes disappear into. The illustrations are good, but you'll find yourself also being rather envious of his enormous gardening expertise. Here is a man who, as well as building a garden on the shores of a Swiss or Italian lake, can also tell you what the best time of year is to propagate a particular shrub and how to take the cutting. I do so admire practical expertise in gardeners, as well as an ability to enjoy the aesthetic. If you want to travel the journeys of the mind in gardens, then Sir Peter Smithers' Adventures of a Gardener will suit you down to the ground. When I'm out and about in Britain, particularly in spring and summer, and I spot a wild flower that I can't identify, and there are still a few, in spite of the fact that I've been around a while, I go to a wildflower book. Now, if you try to do this yourself, you'll know sometimes it's a dickens of a job to find something from a painting or a rather dodgy photo that looks like the plant that's in front of you. There is one book which I have found enormously useful. The photographs are by Sarah Cottle. The text is by Ray Spencer-Jones, and it's called, quite simply and straightforwardly, Wildflowers of Britain and Ireland. The clever thing about this book is that the photographs are set out according to colour. So if you find a wildflower that's white or yellow or pink you can go to this section so that it already cuts down the amount of confusion you're going to see in front of your face. So Wildflowers of Britain and Ireland by Sarah Cottle and Ray Spencer has become for me my most oft-used wildflower book. I cherish the copy of the Reverend W. Keeble Martin's British Flora, paintings that this clergyman painted all through his life to make this glorious book. But when it comes to actually identifying something from a picture, then Sarah Cottle and Ray Spencer's Wildflowers of Britain and Ireland is the book for me. There's a romance to gardening. And for me, that romance began, I suppose, when I was young with The Wind in the Willows, but also with a book written by Francis Hodgson Burnett. It's called The Secret Garden. There's something about a secret garden, isn't there, in all of us that we think, ooh, wouldn't it be wonderful to find that door in the wall covered up by ivy and for the robin to hover at our feet, peck at the ground and unearth the key that undoes the rusty old lock and to walk into this garden which has been neglected for decades, overgrown with thickets of roses and to find it and tame it, and the effect that so doing would have on us, but in this case, the secret garden, on children 
on Mary Lennox, who came back as an orphan from India, quite a grumpy child, and met Colin, the lad who lived in the big house who was confined to bed and didn't really need to be, and Dickon, the young gardener who looks after the outside, and then all three of them find this secret garden, and it changes their lives. And in a way, it's a reminder to all of us how gardens can change our lives. So if you've not read Francis Hodgson Burnett's The Secret Garden since you were a child, or if you've not read it at all, I'm envious of you. You have a lovely journey ahead, soaking yourself in this glorious book that transforms these children and transformed my life as a child. There's one garden in Derbyshire that I particularly love. It's called Chatsworth, the Palace of the Peaks, a vast house that's been developed over the centuries and a garden that's been developed there too. And Deborah Devonshire, who became the Dowager Duchess of Devonshire and who died a few years ago now, wrote a glorious book called The Garden at Chatsworth. It is so packed full of information, but information which is written in such a personal way that you're drawn into the story. There are facts in there about when this particular part of the garden was made, but also stories about the people who made it, the characters, the things that went wrong, the things that people didn't like, the fact that the Victorian wing that was designed and built by Sir Geoffrey Wyattville was, in the early 1900s, wanted to be pulled down because we didn't like Victoria. Mercifully... They didn't pull it down. But all these stories are interwoven with the story of the garden, about how it came into being from way back at the end of the 17th century, right up through London and Wise, through Capability Brown, through Sir Geoffrey Wyattville and Sir Joseph Paxton and the Sixth Duke to the present day. It's a glorious story about a glorious garden. And the illustrations are fabulous. I can lose myself in the garden at Chatsworth simply by opening the pages of this book. It was written now 20 years ago, but it's still a glorious read by Deborah Devonshire. The Garden at Chatsworth. There are many garden designers around, and I revere a lot of them. Tom Stuart Smith, Dan Pearson, and one woman whose books I love reading because her gardens are my kind of gardens. Well, they would be, if I had that kind of talent. Her name is Arabella Lennox Boyd. She's Italian by birth, British by marriage, and her book on designing gardens is a really useful helpmate. It's inspiring. Arabella's eye for line, form, shape, texture, colour, all those things that any garden designer, be their garden large or small, needs to espouse here. You know, sometimes you look at a patch of ground and you think, where do I start? Well, I wouldn't say that Arabella's designs are simple. Um, I wouldn't say that they were unambitious. But what they will do is they'll fire you up. You look at them, you'll see her use of plant material and hard landscaping side by side. And for me, the great delight in designing a garden is combining the two things, the stone, the gravel, the hard landscape, with the softer planting, the trees, the shrubs, 
the perennials and the bulbs. And if you open the pages of Designing Gardens by Arabella Lennox Boyd, you'll be taken on the most glorious, inspiring journey that can't help but enrich you and also enrich your design vocabulary when it comes to knowing how to put plants and landscape and hard materials together. Give it a go. See if you don't agree. I suppose, really, I might be allowed one book of my own to put in this list of favourite books. If I am, then please may I have My Secret Garden, which I wrote about ten years ago, about the garden in which I work and live now. I presented Gardener's World from our previous garden, Barley Wood, and I stopped presenting Gardener's World, believe it or not, 20 years ago now. And when we moved to this old Georgian farmhouse, which had land right the way around it, so the garden surrounded the house, I promised my wife we wouldn't have film crews. Well, after 20-odd years of having them in my garden, I thought it was only fair that my family should have a bit of a quiet life. But she did allow me to have my mate Jonathan Buckley, who was a great photographer, to come around the garden and photograph it as it developed over the next 10 years. And that's exactly what Jonathan did. And then I wrote about it. And there are photographs of it. So if you want to see what my garden's like, it still looks pretty much like this, though obviously things have changed over the last 10 years. But My Secret Garden, written by yours truly, will give you some idea of the kind of gardening I like. Good, strong lines, but loose, billowing borders within those strong lines. So if you fancy seeing what this place is like, have a look at My Secret Garden. You always get out of the library. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app.